When I look at toxic behaviors, I want to tie it to something so people can understand. I think there's different areas of development that we each have. There's a spiritual piece, there's a physical piece, there's sexual maturity, there's an emotional piece, and there's a financial piece. And I think when you're in a relationship, the reason it's so hard or why things get revealed is it's a mirror of accountability for you on the other side of this other person saying, oh, I see this, and they're calling it out. And sometimes that's very uncomfortable, right? But I think when we think about the toxicity piece, the reason it occurs is because we each have different areas we're developed at and better than others. But when you get in a relationship, you can see the unevenness of that. This is episode number 545 with Elizabeth Overstreet, how to break the cycle of toxic relationships. I think we cannot talk about this topic enough. We often end up in relationships that aren't healthy for us. And it really is my passion to bring you people who can talk about this and help you to attract healthy relationships into your life. So I'm excited to have this conversation with Elizabeth. But before I bring her on, I just want to say welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And to support you on your journey to lasting love, my first book is called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And whether you are single or in a relationship, you will be inspired to play a bigger game and succeed in all areas of life and love with the tips that you will find in this book. There are actionable exercises and ways to help you really own your worth. And you can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. And make sure to check out my second book, which will be published by the time this airs. It's called Choice Points in Dating. And it's really about making healthier choices in your love life to lead to your last first state. This week's tip from the Becoming a Woman of Value book is step number 16, don't make assumptions. We tend to not get curious enough. We assume things in the dating process like, well, if that person is a lawyer, then that must mean that he's going to be just like my ex who was a lawyer, who was a terrible person. And so I will never date lawyers again. Or we, you know, we do these things where we, we just make assumptions about people, people who were never married must be X. And I encourage you to look at each person as a clean slate, as a blank slate. And you want to look at people with curiosity and not assumptions, but you also want to rule them in unless they rule themselves out. And they will, if they are not a healthy match for you. So keep an open mind. And before I bring Elizabeth on, just wanted to give a quick shout out to my fantastic Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And it's for women over 40 who are looking to grow and have positive support on their journey to lasting love. It is unlike most of the groups out there for single women where it's just a complaint one after the other about how horrible dating is and everybody gangs up and says, men are terrible. That is not what we do. We are here to support you and to learn good skills so that you can find the love of your life. So join us over there at your last first date. And now for my guest, Elizabeth Overstreet. She has been featured on many TV shows on ABC, CBS, NBC. She's been in the New York Times. She's an author. She is a a trusted love and relationship strategist, and she's known for keeping things real. She has uh, expert coaching and motivational speaking, and she's known for creating personalized, practical roadmaps 
to help people have happier, more satisfying relationships, both with themselves and with others. Welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you, Sandy. I feel honored to be on your 545th episode. That's amazing. <laughs> I am a podcaster too, so I understand how hard the work is that you do to put this information out to your listeners, which I know they appreciate, but thank you for having me as a guest. I feel humbled by that. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, it is. It's a journey, man. <laughs> I was just telling another podcast guest that when I started my podcast, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought nobody was listening and they probably weren't. And uh, and then just to keep going, to have the consistency of bringing wonderful guests like you to the show. And, and this has just become such a wonderful opportunity for me to get to know amazing people and to bring them to the world. So thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Let's start with defining what a toxic or an unhealthy relationship is, because the word toxic gets thrown a lot around, and I just want to hear your definition. Yeah, so I feel like we have become so acclimated to a lot of the terminology of gaslighting and narcissists and um, people who are just not good, healthy partners that sometimes we forget what healthy looks like when it shows up. So in my line of work, I really focus on helping people cultivate healthy relationships. But that being said, I think we're very intuitive as humans for the most part, and we have ideas already when we might be in a toxic relationship. So what does that look like? Uh, maybe you're in a situation where you feel like you really authentically can't be yourself in that relationship, that you're walking around on eggshells, like everything is kind of teetering. There's a tension there, right? Um, where you can't communicate or express or be mutually respected. I think those are like very clear signs. And then there's even more higher levels of toxicity in a relationship that are a lot more black and white. So like if someone's being physically abused or emotionally abused, or they're in a situation with someone that is exhibiting very unhealthy behaviors. Like say they have addiction issues or something like that, but they're not willing to get the help needed. Those could be very toxic relationships. Um, and so I think that like, I think we as humans kind of know sometimes and sense it, but then I think there's also people who haven't had exposure to what a healthy relationship looks like. So oftentimes they can easily fall into toxic relationships too, because they've seen these patterns modeled by people around them or people they've grown up with, you know, that were their caretakers. Yeah, that's a, a really important thing to highlight because I think that so many people don't know what healthy looks like. So before we get into what healthy looks like, let's talk a little bit deeper into why people do stay in these kinds of unhealthy, toxic relationships. Yeah, I think one thing is like with dysfunctionality, it, it can become functionality, you know, so sometimes you just don't know what you know. It's just something is either you have an aha moment or you, you see something different or there's this moment where you pause and maybe you get some insight from a professional and they say, look, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So a lot of times when I'm coaching my clients, one of the things that's very interesting to me is I take them through an exercise of kind of understanding what was their relationship with their caregiver? How did they grow up? What did they observe? What was their role to play in the family? Because even though we grow up as, a, you know, and become adults, we often, when we go back home, go right back to that role that we were in the family. So I think understanding those dynamics can give people clarity on like, okay, if I grew up in a home where my dad was an alcoholic or my mom was an alcoholic, it could be much more easy, easier for me to have picked up on, you know, relationship issues or relationship 
traits that were not healthy. And then as you're like in a relationship, it's e it may be easier for you to go into a codependent relationship and not recognize it's a codependent relationship because that may have been your track of how you grew up. So I think in those instances, helping people to connect the dots, because I think every behavior has a foundation that it starts with, that is not something one day that you just grew up and you have. I think it's a series of events that happen to people. I think when you can connect the dots for people, then people are like, oh, I do see that I'm that person that goes after rescuing people, you know, that don't seem to want to be saved, but I just keep going down this road and I don't know why I keep attracting that. Or I am this uh, person that wants to take this person and try to change who they are. I feel like I can evolve them. So it's like these habits, if you really talk to people, there's always some foundational way that they started in their mind and they become rooted in that. And then it becomes a habit that just keeps happening over and over in their relationships. Yeah, this is such an important piece of how we are raised and how our attachment styles get formed. And we've done many podcast episodes about attachment theory and how you're either securely attached or insecurely attached to your caregivers, which leads to unhealthy or healthy relationships in your romantic life as you get older. And um, understanding the patterns is so important. And it takes a coach or somebody who's going to be able to really see you and understand you to be able to help you see what you're doing that's not working. So you mentioned a rescuer, um, you know, somebody who wants to save people. I've seen some other patterns of um, people who were used to being spoken to poorly or, or valued for their achievements and not who they are as a person, not their emotions. Like what are some other patterns that you've seen from unhealthy upbringing? Yeah. So I want to touch on something. I think like sometimes you could have a secure um, caregiver as a parent, but actually go through a traumatic event or a situation or circumstance or relationship that shifts how you are too and your attachment style. I also think like, you know, we spoke about this, people get very attached to like terminology, but I think your attachment style can shift depending on the relationship you're in and where you are in that relationship and what's happening with you. But as far as answer your other question, I think that when I look at toxic behaviors, I wanna tie it to something so people can understand. I think there's different areas of development that we each have. There's a spiritual piece, there's a physical piece, there's sexual maturity, there's an emotional piece and there's a financial piece. And I think when you're in a relationship, the reason it's so hard or why things get revealed is it's a mirror of accountability for you on the other side of this other person saying, oh, I see this and they're calling it out. And sometimes that's very uncomfortable, right? But I think when we think about the toxicity piece, the reason it occurs is because we each have different areas we're developed at and better than others. But when you get in a relationship, you can see the unevenness of that. So what I mean by that is you'll hear people say things like, I feel like I'm dealing with a 17 year old, but they're like 50. <laughs> And, and the thing is, they are probably Jeanette, you know, like from an age perspective, 50, but maybe their development emotionally stopped, got stunted at like 17, which is why they operate as a 17 year old in a relationship. So I think the toxicity piece also is like what people have been through, how they've addressed those issues if they haven't, you know, um, and, and, and it keeps showing up um, repeatedly you know, in, in those relationships that they have. Can you um, just repeat those different areas? I got spiritual, sexual, emotional. What, what were the other ones? 
physically and sexually. So like, this is what sexual immaturity looks like. You know, you will see sometimes relationships where people constantly choose people that are a lot younger than them, you know, and not that there's that, that can't happen or that you can't connect with someone that's a lot younger than you. But if it's a, a if, to me, if it's a pattern where they cannot connect with someone near their peer group, let's just say near their peer group, there could be some sexual immaturity there because they are still operating in the mindset of someone who's operating at a much younger age, which is why they feel that connection there. And people will use a lot of excuses like, well, it's youth or they make me feel good, but there's something missing within that person that keeps going and repeating that relationship dynamic over and over again. So that's an example of like sexual immaturity. We talked about emotional immaturity. Um, physical immaturity is just development in general. You know, like sometimes people have not gotten past a certain life experience. Like if you were sexually assaulted as a young girl, it may take you a long time to come and evolve out of being a girl that takes back your power sexually. And you may see people go through different schematics of how they do that. You may see some people that it appears they're very promiscuous because they're like, I'm owning it. I'm taking control of it. But it is a direct result a lot of times of that trauma that's happened. And if you watch that person over time, they have to reach this balance and equilibrium of like, okay, I, I feel like now I'm in a better place developmentally in this area because I, I understand what happened to me was wrong. And I took it back this way. I had to go swing the pendulum this way, but now I'm in the middle because now I have a better understanding of it, a, a better self-awareness. So I feel like as humans, we all have so many multifaceted areas of ourselves that we all don't see that when we're in a relationship and we don't reveal all those things. So you're seeing pockets of it. And I think that's where the toxicity comes out. Yeah, those are all very good points. I think we often get frozen in time and I've seen it in dating all the time. You know, it's, it's, we all have different levels of maturity and, and those are the places we get stuck. And so for dating, like we did when we were 14 or we had a trauma occur, it's not going to heal until we heal it and realize what the patterns are. So I'm a little weird. Your audience might get a kick out of this. You know, you, you might do this too, Sandy. Like when we watch a documentary, I think Sandy and I could be looking at it a little bit differently because we're like, what's causing this behavior? Why are they this way? How did they end up here? And I know some people look at it like, wow, they're successful and they have this great life. I mean, that's a part of the documentary, but for me, it's more like, what's their foundation? What created this passion or driving them? What were their shortfalls? What did, what thing did they have to overcome? So I just think like humans, I'm so curious about why we do what we do. But when I just look at every time I was just watching one on Pamela Anderson, it was super interesting to me because there was a lot she went through as a young woman that really shaped how she was. And what we saw on the outside was this very vivacious, sexy, sexy woman. But internally, she had so many wounds she had to heal because of some of the sexual traumas that she experienced. So I just think the more people do look at that part of the documentary, they can understand like, it's okay. Like you're not alone. There's other people that have been through this. You can give yourself some grace, but also getting that intervention or help is what will help you get to that next level. Just like you said, Sandy, like if you don't recognize it or if you don't get the right help, you stay, you stay frozen in time. So that's the part I, you know, of the documentary. I like when they kind of have that self-awareness and actualization about who they are. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I definitely do when I watch shows. And I, I like to watch shows like Love is Blind and 
I don't have a lot of patience for The Bachelor, but watching shows like Love is Blind or Married at First Sight, where you see how people handle conflict terribly or, you know, they, they never really got the support they needed and, and nobody's really giving it to them. They just expect them to somehow, because they're in a pod with somebody and they marry them without really knowing them, that somehow they're going to make it work. But People have, have a history and they have patterns and they really need more than just being thrown into a pod with someone. All the flaws and all the wounds come out. It's it's fascinating. Very first is so great for that. It's very fascinating <clears throat> for that. And I like yeah. that they're giving them intervention too in real time. You know, like here's your challenge. Okay, and talking them through it because I think the hardest thing to see is yourself. And But when you're in a relationship, again, there's someone else that's going to tell you about yourself. <laughs> And I'm married, I've been through, I'm a normal human being outside of my coaching. So I I have, you know, when I take my coaching hat off, it's like, I forget things that I tell my clients to do. And I'm like, wait a minute, I got to be true to the message I'm giving them um, as well. But it's a human, it's human nature to defend versus really listening to take action or to shift your behavior. So important. I agree with you. I was just talking to another guest about business growth and it's the same thing. It's like, if you don't have that humility to say, this isn't working, somebody's going to give you feedback. You're going to hire a business coach and they're going to say, you need to clean up this part of your business, or you need to hire two people to do those things that you're not doing as well. And you should not be focusing on. And there's a piece that resists. It's like, well, how am I going to do that? And why would I want to do that? And why would I trust you? And, but these people that you're working with hopefully have the best interest in mind and they're they're there to support you and we can't see what we can't see right so we can all be there for other people and that's why it's important to have that humility to be able to say hmm there's there is a reason why I'm stuck and I keep repeating patterns there's a reason why second marriages fail and third marriages fail because people don't really do the work so let's talk about what that work looks like and what a healthy relationship looks like. Yeah, so I think, you know, a healthy relationship is really people committing to the process of being in that relationship because each day your feelings are going to go up and down. You're going to have moments of happiness and unhappiness realistically, even in a happy relationship because you're human. You're going through things which are going to affect your relationship. You can't compartmentalize that. So I think it's really being with someone where you both are committed to the process, the process of learning one another, the process of leaning into one another. My, my husband and I always call it iron, sharpening iron. And like we've reframed a lot of our language of disagreement around healthy friction. And, you know, when we're getting ready to have a difficult conversation, I often start the conversation by saying, I know this is going to be a touchy topic because that, that enables my husband to know, okay, this might be uncomfortable. And we've had to learn how to operate. So I I use myself as an example. I was a conflict avoider as far as like, you know, I would have a moment and be like, if I couldn't get a resolution right away, I would just withdraw. And my husband, I learned he also was a conflict avoider. So imagine two people (laughs) who are conflict avoidant, you're not going to deal with conflict very well. So what I had to learn was that my husband is a processor. And I'm a person that likes to solve through things quickly. So I had to learn to take a step back, you know, present something to him and give him time to like think about it, process it and come back on his terms a bit. 
and and say, hey, this is what I think I understand. How do we move the needle forward? Now, that doesn't always happen where we have to, I have to wait for him to process things, but that is part of his thought process. And how I figured it out was really seeing that like I would tell him things and he would come back later and say, yeah, I remember you said this and I heard this. He's a good listener. And so that's when I started, it clicked with me that, oh, you know what? I need to just like lay it out on the table because that helps me because I want to get it out. I'm that person. And you usually have opposites, not two people alike in a relationship, right? But conflict, <laughs> one that wants to solve it through and one that wants to be like, well, let me think about it. Um, and then allowing him that time to process it. And I just found that the results were much more better with helping us through like healthy um, friction. So that's a healthy relationship. I, I want people to know that, yeah, a healthy relationship feels great. You're compatible. You, you should be aligned in the similar way to your goals and values, but it still has friction. It still has challenges. And I think that's where people get a little frustrated because some people are watching The Bachelor and thinking it's a happily ever after ending, right? Um, we're, we're almost like taking what we see on TV or reality TV as being the, the Bible of relationships, but it's only a snapshot of that relationship that's carefully cur curated. <laughs> right. Know. And often um, implodes when they're off screen. <laughs> exactly. And often there's so much happening. Like I remember watching a show on Lifetime about the behind the scenes of like The Bachelor. It was like a mock-up of that show. And they showed all the things they do to kind of keep people going because you got to keep people engaged. And I was like, oh, I hope this isn't happening in real life. But I have a feeling some of it is. Um, so I think, you know, a healthy relationship is the mutual respect, I talked about the commitment. It's it's mutually finding ways to deal with conflict. I think that's a huge sign that you're in a healthy relationship. Like if you can get through conflict where you're not insulting one another, but you are attacking the problem and you're doing it in a constructive way, even though it feels uncomfortable because conflict doesn't feel comfortable a lot of times. I mean, there's some people that like to jump into conflict, but for the most part, most of us like it doesn't feel great. We're like, oh, I don't like this. I want to get out of it quick. <laughs> so yeah. if you have that going, that's a, that's a good sign. If you have someone that's attentive to you, that's responsive to you. Um, I often hear women say, and I know you've heard, you've said this too, like Sandy, because we talked about this before the show, there's no good men out here. Sometimes we are often overlooking good men. They're right in front of us. Um, and those are the men that are showing up. They are being attentive. They do care about our needs. They check in on us, but something about us we go for sometimes more difficult situations where somebody, we have to chase them, or even if they're exhibiting behaviors where they're not engaged, we're like, well, maybe there's a reason they're not responding. Maybe they're busy. But I think relationships are kind of clear cut. When it's healthy, they're responding. They're they're attentive. They, they want to know how you're doing. Um, they check in. You don't have to beg for someone's attention. But I think for some, somehow the wiring sometimes is a little misconstrued where people go to the harder way versus the easier way. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people are wired for uh, that kind of butterflies or that that feeling of being on edge, which is actually anxiety and it doesn't feel good, but it leads to some sexual tension. And that's what they feel is love and how we interpret love because of our family, you know, all the things that we're talking about. But I like I like a couple of things that you shared. I like the attack the problem, not the person. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind when you're having conflicts. It's not about making the other person wrong. It's about how can we deal with this in a way that meets our needs and doesn't make one person right and the other person wrong. So I, I like that a lot. And I think conflict and how we resolve conflict is is one of the most important things in a relationship. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. 
You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. You were talking about understanding your husband and the way he thinks and the way he processes. The whole thing where we go into relationships and we think people think exactly the way we do and they process exactly the way we do and what's wrong with them for not processing this way is such a huge issue for people. And I think it's so beautiful that you learn that your husband takes more time to process. I think it's true of most men actually, and women get very impatient. If a man doesn't answer them immediately and they asked a question, well, then he must not really care about me because I just talked to him about a vacation and he hasn't answered me yet. So I'm going to give him some more information and then I'm going to be really pissed at him. And this leads to conflict. So when you realize this person needs more time, let him have the time so that we can have a conversation where he comes back after he has done his processing and I've done mine. And I think specificity in what you want. So like, to your point, a lot of times people say, well, I want more time. I want you to give me more time. What does that mean? That's so like gray. I think it's, it's, it's you know, you sometimes have to tell people concretely what you need. I need for us to have an hour uninterrupted time where we're walking in the park or we're sitting and watching a show together, or I have your undivided attention. You put your phone down. Like that's so much more concrete versus I need time. And I think there is that frustration to your point. And you talked about this before we, you know, we, me and Sandy had a great conversation before the show, but we hope we're still having a great conversation um, about people making assumptions. Like and you just said it a moment ago, leaning into like, because I operate this way, you need to operate this way because I'm thinking this way. You should automatically think this way. I think that is the biggest downfall you know, of a relationship, when you start assuming that someone is in your head or they should know how you think, or they should be the same. Um, we're each multifaceted. We each have different experiences and we need to be respectful of those, you know, those different experiences. And I think what I found, you know, in my relationship with my husband is like, I appreciate the variety he brings because sometimes he'll say, well, I know you can go talk to this person to get this advice. And I know they're very successful in this arena. And I always remind him, no, you, your mind, the way you think, I respect your perspective. It makes me better as a person. I need it. And I think we do need to reinforce that to our, our the, you know, the people we're in relationships with, because there is a way they're looking at the world that's a little different. And that's, that's valuable to your relationship, having a broader more holisticness to it, right? Versus just being stuck in one way of doing things. Yes. I think that having differences is key also. I think people often look for their clones and they think that, oh, I'm just going to find somebody exactly like me. And that would get boring really fast. And it also doesn't lead to attraction. It might lead to some compatibility if somebody's a lot like you, but it doesn't lead to that attraction of somebody who has something that you don't have that brings something to the table where you admire and respect them for it. So that's a really important point. I appreciate that you brought that up. Let, let's, uh, let's talk about healthy relationships and why so many people feel that they are just bored. 
because so many people say, you know, I've met this really nice person. I'm just really bored. So, and the, I guess the next part of that question is how can you discern between a relationship that really is boring and one that feels boring because it's healthy? I think sometimes there are people used to drama and they're used to this climatic thing in relationships of fighting and making up, or they've been introduced that if there's a tension, I, I mean, I've coached people around this, like they may have saw their parents spar physically, you know, and then they made up. So then in their mind are like, oh, there's passion there. And if you're not fighting me in that same way, this isn't a healthy relationship. So, you know, to answer your question, I think there is a balance, right? Like when you are in a healthy relationship, guess what? There's more consistency and guess what? Consistency can be boring. So I think it's up to the couple to really curate and create opportunities where they can like, you know, raise the excitement in the relationship, changing things up, you know, making sure that you're, you're, you know, evolving with each other, having new experiences with one another. I think that's that commitment piece of showing up. Um, I'm very fortunate that I grew up in, you know, a, a family where my, I observed really many people with multi-decade relationships. So my parents were married almost um, 60 years. And then my grandparents, 60 years, aunts and uncles, 40 years, 40 plus years. So I observed like what was working, what wasn't, how they dealt with these things. And honestly, I'm sure there were moments of boredom, but then I watched the whole like holistic reward of the relationship. And I saw that, man, it showed me you can have a happy and fulfilling relationship, but there are going to be these ups and downs because things happen. So I coach women just like you that are like, I'm dating someone. He seems really nice, but I just don't feel like the passion or I don't feel like, I don't know where it's going. Cause I just, I mean, they're telling me they want to commit to me, but then conversely, I'll have the same conversation with that person of someone they may have been interested in that was doing none of that. And they'll give them sometimes more leeway or more time and energy. And, 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 and my thing is like, sometimes a, a relationship, not even sometimes, a relationship takes time to cultivate. Uh, one thing my mom shared with me, and I thought it was very wise. She said, I've been married to your dad 57 years, and there's still things I'm learning about him. And I said, man, like you guys have been together forever and you're still learning things about him. And she said, absolutely, because we're human and we change. So, so what that taught me is that we don't stay stagnant um, and, and things just take time, you know, and, and, but they had a great friendship, but that was the foundation to their relationship that I think really helped them. And they definitely had alignment, but I don't think it was like overnight passion. I never heard that with them. It was like, we like each other. We feel like we're on the same wavelength and they just kept cultivating that. So I do think there's a balance. I mean, I don't think you should be in a situation where you just don't feel a level of satisfaction with being so, with someone like you just, you're with this person and it just, it doesn't feel like it's clicking for you or you're on the same page. But at the same time, I think we don't give relationships enough time to cultivate to that passion. Um, and, and I'm speaking from personal experience. I was married before I dated a single person as a divorcee. And I just remember that, like, I would look for the butterflies and all these things. But then when I met my husband, it was funny. I had just dated someone like maybe a year prior or so that was very difficult and I remember how calming my husband was. And I was like, he's very steady. This, this is different. And it felt different. And, and sometimes different feels a little uncomfortable because you're just not used to it. You're used to the other. So I would encourage people that like, it's okay for it to be a slow progression. Because honestly, dating is discovery. It's your time to get to know that person. There's no 
commitment really at that point. But at the same time, in discovery, you really don't, you're, it's, it's so in the beginning, as long as it's steadily moving along, it really gives you time to see that person each season, see who they are. And then I think you should judge. But I think the challenge is now we have so many options. It's like when you go to get, women will relate to this. You go to get your nails done and you have a color in mind, but then they give you the color palette and there's like a thousand colors. And then you're confused because you're like, well, if I don't get this, maybe I should get this. And I think dating similar where we feel like we have all of these options and we're so focused on the options that we can't see what's in front of us. So I think it's important to give that person time to see how it evolves, but pay attention to like, are you engaging in it in a healthy way? Are you looking for the toxic stuff that you're used to, or are you really trying to reframe and shift into like, oh, I want a healthy relationship. This is what it's going to feel like and leaning into that more so. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very wise advice. (laughs) I think that most people look for the spark And the slow build is really healthier because we have to start with a foundation of something that we can build on and there has to be some interest. And I have questions that I help my clients debrief every date with so that they can really see where it's going. It's when the people who just stay stuck at a certain level and never progress, that's when you have a problem or when it never is defined as a relationship. But I find that most people come in and they want to decide right away if this is it and whether this has relationship potential. And so you use the word discovery, which is really key. We have to be in discovery in order to know if this feels right, if my body feels good with this person, do I feel inspired in some way? Am I curious to know more? Just like your parents after 57 years are still curious to know more. That's what you're looking for. You want to be able to wake up every day and say, oh, I'm, there's more to this person. There's multifaceted. So... I think that's the joy of relationships. Yeah. Yes. Like not doing everything, but learning and looking at it like from just like you said, out of curiosity, like who is this person? How do I connect with them? I think that's what really shifts a relationship and makes it more interesting in general. Absolutely. So let's talk about breaking the cycle of toxic relationships. If you can share a few good tips for people who are in toxic patterns and want to get out. You know, it's interesting when we go to learn like a new skill or we go to get a degree, we look at resources, right? We say, okay, I'm going to go seek out a counselor to see what programs there are. I'm going to go see what scholarship programs are available. I'm going to learn everything I can about this. But when it comes to relationships, we just kind of, you know, we jump in and we say, okay, I hope it'll work out. And I think we don't become intentional until we've been hurt or we've had significant pain from it. And then we're like, wait a minute, I'm going to approach this differently. So if someone is stuck in a toxic relationship, I think the first thing is awareness of it, right? But also the second thing is finding resources and support to pull yourself out of it. What does that look like? And some people will say, well, I talked to my sister or I talked to my mom or my dad. I think it's important to use a professional, you know, to really assess where you are, to like someone who has experience in that arena who can really give you an objective viewpoint. Because as much as people are well-intentioned that might be around us that are friends and family, they also are curating their advice to us based on their experiences. So it needs to be someone who's trusted, someone who has that expertise. Because when I listen to like women who have been in very difficult situations and they just feel stuck because I've coached women like that, they feel like I got to do this myself. And I think like, 
it's hard to do it yourself because sometimes you're so mired in it. You're trying to just survive day to day in that relationship. But when you have someone who can give you techniques, who can give you awareness, who can give you steps, who can give you other resources of what you can do, it makes breaking that toxicity a little easier. And it doesn't mean like after you're out of it, you'll do better because I think it's like being, um, having any kind of addiction or issue, you could easily fall back into it. But if you look at even someone who recovers from an addiction, the first thing is like admitting it. And then the second thing is like having some, you know, having support group there. Then the third thing is like having a sponsor or someone that's an accountability partner. So I think people need to look at getting out of toxic relationships in a similar way, like recognizing it and building that support group or that accountability person partner that can help them to keep easing away from it. I think that's the only way to really do it. And then just practicing, it's like a habit, a muscle. You got to get and build and be stronger. And I think what I've watched with my clients, which I love so much about my work is the transformation that happens when someone is like, they have that aha moment and they're like, oh my God, I'm doing it again. And it's not that it stops right away. So I want people to know that like it takes time because I've coached clients where they keep doing it and I can only usher them to the right, direction, give them insights, but they have to make that decision. But once they have that clarity, it's like their whole life shifts when it comes to relationships. It doesn't mean you attract perfect people, but you have so much self-awareness about yourself that when you're in the relationship, you're more aware of like, you know what, this isn't the right fit for me. You feel strong enough because you have these supports and you have this awareness to walk away from those situations. So I think that's what it takes to kind of break that pattern of toxicity. Yeah, I think awareness is key on in any kind of change you're going to make, just knowing that you have the problem. But I like the comparison to addiction and getting support, getting somebody who's really a professional support is the quickest and most successful way that I know to get to break any pattern and to find success. And then having the accountability and give being kind to yourself along the way so that you know that it's not overnight change that you're looking for. It took a long time to get here. You know, I always tell my clients, it took you 40 years to get to this place. It's not going to change in five minutes, you know, (laughs) be realistic. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So Elizabeth, what are your final tips for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? I love that Sandy's doing this show, first of all. So thank you for having me on here. I think it's important to listen to shows like this where you have experts talking through their different experiences. There's probably something that I'm sure in her 500 plus shows that Sandy has done that's resonated with you, that's kept you around. So don't give up, you know, give yourself some grace. Um, find that support if you're in one of those toxic situations. If you're in a much more you know, serious situation of where you, you could be at risk for physical harm, re- recognize there's support out there like a domestic abuse lines um and you don't have to do it or go at it by yourself and then i would just say like take it one day at a time and just just realize that like anything when we say we have a high school reunion or something coming up that we want to go to we start coming up with a plan so we look our best right and it doesn't happen overnight but it's usually we know this event is happening at this time frame and we start planning incrementally the things we could do to make ourselves look better, whether it's working out, eating a little healthier, sacrificing on some of those sweets we normally, you know, would indulge in. And I think it's similar with building these healthy relationship habits is taking it incrementally day by day, recognizing your progress, hitting those milestones and just continuing to build that habit. Absolutely. Incremental change is what lasts, not overnight, not 
crash diets, those always put the weight back on. (laughs) Uh, Elizabeth, this has been wonderful and such good information. And I appreciate you sharing your personal stories as well. If you can share your website, and I know you have a free offer for our listeners. So please share that with us. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about the work I'm doing, um, you can visit my website at elizabethoverstreet.com and you can find all my content there, my social media uh, information as well. I would love for you to just come check out the sites. Just say hello. You could drop a question in as well. And then I also have a book called Love You and He Will Too, which is on Amazon as well. If you want to check that out, it's really great. If you feel like you're just stuck in a pattern and you can't figure out how to build that first step of self-awareness. And I want to offer out to you guys, um, if you reach out to me, I will be given the first two people um, that respond a free 30-minute consultation to just talk through maybe some relationship hurdle that you're experiencing around building a healthy relationship. And I, you know, I think it would be great to connect with you. So again, if you visit my website at elizabethoverstreet.com, I'll look for you guys there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and helping our audience date smarter, healthier, better so that they can find their last first date. Thank you for having me. Thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please, please give us a wonderful rating and review on Apple podcasts. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. 